Well, Greg, I don't know how old we are, but we're definitely in our late 30s because we're coming up on a year here of the Rocktown Sports Pod, Rockingham County's only all-local sports podcast. Greg, it has been a while. I mean, we've been doing this since, I believe, we started Championship Week of the Virginia High School League Boys and Girls Basketball Tournaments. Yeah, I I remember talking uh, Spotswood, East Rock with Cody, and then... Getting into the college hoops a little bit with some BC, yeah. and hey, when the Eagles and Royals were going at it a little bit, Shane, of course, with the JMU yeah. men's hoops. I, I remember, yeah, and you were host back then. Is back it, then at it? <laughs> oh, those thirty some odd weeks ago. Uh, you know who Greg is? He's the the JMU football beat writer here at the Daily News Record, and it has been a while as well since you've been on the Rocktown Sports Pod. But that, that's understandable. You had a three week three week stretch of just travel, travel, travel. And if you you can't see him because you're not in here, so if you we had a video camera set up, you would see a relaxed, refreshed Greg Medea because JMU football is on the bye week. It's the bye week for everyone. Uh, <laughs> let, let's let, let's make that clear. Now, I you know when you get into the the week by week season season of it, and, and you, you get into that grind mode, it's just constantly you're just looking down one, kind of like Kurt says, one play at a time, one week at a time. I'm just one story at a time during a football season uh so you know that's one interview one one you know typing up uh whatever at a time that's that's me i'm just kind of grinding away but uh this is you can look up a little bit and you can you can breathe a little you can bit take a, a you can take a take a deep breath you can not go without shaving for a few days if, yeah. you, if you so desire uh greg i mean where this is a team this jamie football team ranked number two in the stats fcs poll uh, has got to be happy where they're sitting at this point in the season, especially when you look back at that murderer's row that, you know, you talked about in the preseason. They had three straight road games, and they were not like, you know, going down to, you know, going up to, to you know, the Maryland and down to, I mean, these were road, road games. They went to Chattanooga. They went to Elon. They went up to Stony Brook on Long Island, and they came out and, you know, and now they won eight straight. Yeah, for for sure. And playing nine straight weeks is no easy task. I went back yesterday and looked at how many times it had been done in JM, at JMU in the last decade, only once before. Hmm. And that was in 2015. They started 7-0 and and then lost the last two before the bye week. Kind of started the downward spiral that season. But to make it through after losing the opener at FBS West Virginia, after that, to make it through with eight straight wins, pretty unbelievable. And like you said, that stretch was... That stretch was pretty brutal. Chattanooga is not close. No. Uh, as someone who made the track, that that uh, that when when you get down there and you start seeing signs for Birmingham and and Atlanta and and some of the other places in the South, you're like, all right, this is this is this is not close to home. This is not a a conference rival. So, you know that that was a pretty far trip. And then the next week, having to go to Elon, which that brought its own challenge. It's not a very far trip, but that brought its own challenges with Kurt Signetti's return. Mm-hmm. To, to the school that he coached the last two years, and then up to Stony Brook. And that Stony Brook team is a very, very good football team. Took Jamie to the brink. They had to win in overtime. And you saw this past weekend, Stony Brook beat Villanova. So you, that just kind of tells you the quality team that they have at Stony Brook. So that was not an easy stretch. And then they took care of business, beat Villanova at home, went to William & Mary, beat a William & Mary team that just isn't there yet. Let's, let's just make that clear. Yeah. Maybe two, three years down the road, but not there yet. Uh, and then beat Towson, a uh, Towson team that, for as banged up as they are, gave JMU a, a game for, you know, a quarter, quarter and a half before JMU blew them out, you know, starting later in the second quarter, uh, about the last five minutes of that quarter when they just they just 
bowled over Towson. And that, you know, you, you all season long, and, you know, you've been talking about the de- – well, especially in the preseason and after the West Virginia game, how this defense was the real deal. Uh, they looked like the real deal once again in, in the win over Towson. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just – Tackles for loss, pressure on the opposing quarterback. Tom Flacco, for as good as he is, they did a great job tackling him, corralling him in a backfield, keeping his keeping him contained. And I thought really what the difference was, Towson's offensive line held up for about a quarter. Tom Flacco made some throws first quarter, early second quarter. But after that, JMU's defensive line just completely wore them down. Between Daka and Rondell Carter, John Daka and Rondell Carter, the two DNs, it's just it's just a bear to try to stop that front, especially when you got Mike Green in the middle there, too, on the interior of that defensive line. Carter's second in the country in tackles for loss. Daka's ninth in the country in sacks. And the two of them, it's just... You can't double one of them because then you leave the other one on an island. I just, it's very, very difficult to try to block Jamie's defensive line, and that's that's where the pressure starts. And they made Flacco look pretty pedestrian in the second half, and that's the that's I mean that's the defending CA offensive player of the year right there. Yeah, and and they they made him look very pedestrian. Yeah, I mean he he threw an interception, fumbled, cute read, a backup safety came in uh, when when Amos was out and and hit hit Flacco and forced him to fumble the football. I I just thought. They, they had a really good game plan. Corey Heatherman, I think the, the one noticeable thing now nine weeks in after watching it for nine weeks and, and being able to compare it to what Bob Trott's defense was, they're very similar in how they look before the snap. But Heatherman is, is predicated, his defense is predicated on getting the pressure and being aggressive. So I think you're seeing more blitz, more twists and stunts from the defensive line. It, it's a lot more pressure from inside the box than than Trot's defense was. He he Trot liked to use like to leave his corners out on an island, but it would be pressure basically from the front four. He'd rely on the front four to get there. This is bringing some safeties, bringing some linebackers, uh, but also allowing the talents of Rondell Carter and John Dacca to stand out. Uh, offensively, they look like the team I think we were expecting them to be. Uh, you know, they're running the ball very well. Uh, you know, Danucci has really, really cut down on the mistakes. Uh, no surprises from you in how this offense has been? I mean, I think Brandon Polk's been a fantastic addition. Uh, I think it, it, it is what you expect, though, just just to get to your point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is. I mean, they are run first. Signetti's going to run the ball, and they're going to try to lead the conference in rushing. But when the opponents stack up the box and they try to defend that run game first— they actually have a legit outside weapon that can take a screen pass, catch a deep ball, and turn it into a touchdown. And that, that's that's with Brandon Polk. I I can't believe how much he's added to the offense. I knew last year they they were young at receiver, except for Riley Stapleton. But he's not your down the field run past everybody, go get it type of receiver. He's a possession receiver. Yeah, he's more of a Tom Waddle if you were looking yes. for uh, the kind of receiver he yes. is. You know, if, if the ball's going to hit his hands, he's going to catch it. He's not going to drop too many passes, but you're not going to get, you know, 15, 20, 30 yards after the catch out of him. Right, right. You you want to throw him a jump ball, he'll, he'll go up and get it. He's 6'5". Uh, but Brandon Polk has added a dimension that they didn't have last year, and I think it's really just benefited everybody involved. Uh, ben has even said, Ben Danucci, he, he said to me, I think it was after the Chattanooga game where Polk turned like a little short screen pass into a long touchdown. He goes, you just look at that burst and you're like, 
holy cow, I don't have to do anything, <laughs> you know? So it was, I mean, that, that's just, that's, that's a big difference with the offense this year is they have somebody to kind of play off Stapleton and they kind of complement each other, I think. Uh, put you on the spot time, if you don't mind. If you look at the, you know, where they're at in, in the games that they've won and lost, is there a signature game so far that, you know, if you're going to try to microcosm JMU season in the one game so far, what game would that be? It's either the Stony Brook game or the Villanova game. But since you're asking for one, you're putting me on the spot. I'll go with the Villanova game. MJ Hampton's pick six, uh, 83-yard interception return for a touchdown. That, that to me, is still the moment in the season. Uh, it's kind of where I thought the defense just began to play at a even more ridiculous level than they already were playing at i just that that's the thing i don't know who's gonna be able to run the football on this on the on the jmu's defense i mean they're holding people less than 70 rushing yards a game last week they held flacco to negative three rushing yards it's the only time in his career he's been held with negative rushing yards that's unbelievable that's pretty outstanding a lot of it comes from sacks but you you can still see throughout his career even when he's getting sacked he's running for enough yards to make up for it so to me that that just jumps out I, I I don't know and then you look at that that Villanova game like I was talking about Hamptons pick six and then they kind of unraveled the Villanova quarterback a little bit with pressure Daka back there Rondell Carter back there and he threw a couple of interceptions Daniel Smith the Villanova quarterback so that's kind of the game for me I think that MJ Hampton play really set them going in 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 a outstanding direction i mean they already were going good but you get what i'm saying i got you and in the middle of all this last week uh the big news they sign a a, a non-conference home and home with a another fcs i mean it's fair to call weber state a power right yeah, i for, mean they're always sure. in the, they're always in the conversation a home and home of weber state that starts in 21 2021 2021 yep. and that the first game will be out in utah right right, right. we uh, better start saving now yeah i tell you <laughs> <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, and and you know for for someone when the news just breaks you had a, a fairly in-depth story in-depth story on how this all you know on you know before deadline you had this fairly in-depth story on how this all came to pass i mean try you know for anyone that missed this story you know how, how much work went into signing this series yeah it, it's a lot I, I kevin white the the assistant athletic director who does the scheduling for for jmu football what he was telling me is you know, scheduling at Jamie has become very, very difficult because of the success the program's had. You know, it's not easy to get. And, and, and this is not being cocky. It's just facts. You know, it's just JMU has won a lot of games. They play FBS games extremely tough. So even when they're not winning, like you look last year, NC State, this year, West Virginia, games they could have won, and not to mention, you know, they beat East Carolina, beat SMU uh, within the past couple of years it's becoming more difficult to get teams to play them at any level. So when they realized maybe they weren't going to get an FBS game, this became a good option for them, Weber State. And uh, they looked at Weber State as a school that was willing to do a home-and-home. I think Weber State's maybe having some of the same problems JMU has with with getting home-and-homes with other FCS schools and playing FBS games. I know they had two this year, but you look ahead, and it's not, not the easiest thing to do when you're playing that well. So... It started Jeff Bourne and, and the former Weber State, there's a new AD there, but the former Weber State AD had some conversations when Weber State came here in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Which Jamie won on a last-second field goal. Yeah, you, you were there that night, right? I was, I yeah. was. Yeah, yeah no, that was, a, that was a good one. But, uh, yeah, so that's kind of when it started. And then Kevin White said they reached, he, Jamie reached out to them 
I don't know, about four or five months ago, and they were on board. It was just a matter of finding dates that work for both both parties. They wanted to do it fairly soon uh, because, you know, you don't want to schedule something too far out like a lot of these schools are doing because you don't know, you know, the trajectory, trajectory of each program. But, uh, yeah, made it happen, made it work. I think it's it's great for FCS. You need some more of these, you know, cross-rival, cross-conference games where you, where you have really good teams playing other teams. So, They'll, they'll they'll not have they won't have an FBS game in twenty one, but they'll play Weber State at home in twenty two and go to Louisville. So that's quite that's, right, that's the, quite that's the Louisville game, yeah. Yeah, so that's quite the non conference slate in twenty twenty two. And I think both those Weber State games, whether it's here or out there, have that game day potential. For sure, yeah. I mean, not to get that rumor mill. We know what that rumor mill goes nuts, uh, but you know, <laughs> but, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure you know you, college game day. They're looking for storylines and they're looking for what is interesting not only to all of the country in college football, but maybe something to make it, you know, a little bit more in-depth, a little more appealing to a certain section of the fan base. So uh, the only thing that's tough about early games is a lot of the time you get those big-time non-conference yeah. matchups in the FBS. Uh, that's tough to find something. You need a slow weekend like I guess this past weekend was. Yeah, that was a slow weekend. <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg, uh, the rest of the way going forward, I mean, is it, you know, you hate to say it, but, I mean, is it, are there any really, other than themselves, are there any big obstacles in JMU's path to winning the CAA, uh, maybe securing that number two seed so they're home all the way until the, you know, a Frisco date? I mean, is there any any obstacles that you see out there? Yeah, I I, I don't. I think New Hampshire, who, who they'll play right after the bye week, New Hampshire has a very good defense, veteran late in secondary. But other than that, I just... I, I look at JMU. Rhode Island's only has one win. That's that shouldn't be a tough task. Richmond, they they've played better. You have to give Richmond credit. They've played a lot better after their one and three start. They they've improved under Russ Houston, but again, I don't think they have the talent to to stick with JMU, and it, that's been proven in, in in the last year. So I, to me, they really should get through the rest of this schedule unscathed and. Especially after a bye week, they they needed this rest. I, I do think they have some players banged up, and you can always use a bye week if you've played nine straight. But other than that, I I think they're good to go. I think I think they'll be fine. Win the CA outright, probably finish unbeaten in the league, and and enter the playoffs at number two seed. I mean, are they? Is there any way you foresee you could see this team grabbing that number one spot from from North Dakota State? If the buys and slip up, somewhere, other other than a buys and slip up, I mean, is there probably anything, not. Jame, you can do? Probably not. I, okay. I mean, I just you look at the strength of Missouri Valley too, South Dakota State being as high ranked as they are, and then the Illinois State in the top ten. I think who, who's the other one? Northern Iowa is also in the top ten. And you look at the CAA has kind of cannibalized itself between Stony Brook beating Villanova, New Hampshire beating Stony Brook, Delaware going back and forth between being a good and a bad team, uh, Towson <laughs> being good at times and, and not so good at other times. I just think that the league has not been it, – it's very good depth-wise, but it doesn't have as many top-tier upper echelon teams like the Missouri Valley does. Awesome. Well, Greg, enjoy your bye week. Get, to, uh, get some frozen pizzas, uh, get a six-pack, and, and just relax and, and watch some – Watch some uh, college football that you don't have to worry about writing about after it's done. That's the plan. That's the plan. So uh, look, looking forward to the weekend. Awesome, Greg. Well, thanks for joining us on, on this edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod. Next, we're going to – well, I don't even know who we're going to bring in next. We'll, we'll surprise everybody. 
Well, that was Greg Medea talking, of course, Jamie football, and let's stay on the football train. And speaking of football tra- train, Shane Metlin, the Eagles just keep on chugging along. We're talking Bridgewater College. Yeah, we're going to keep talking Bridgewater College for the weeks to come, I think, if, uh, if not, unless something changes here drastically, but uh, it's looking good for them. Uh, another ODAC win, this time against the very good Washington and Lee team down there in Lexington. And uh, they that Washington and Lee offense is, is always gives teams fit. Uh, but it looks like uh, Bridgewater College's defense was more than up to the task, and it looks like they're the kind of the offense these days that are giving people fits. Yeah, I mean, you really kind of summed it up there. Uh, you know, they held Washington Elite less than 200 yards total offense, and that's a team that's putting up more than 400 per game this season was up there until they met Bridgewater was up there at the top of the conference and total offense. And other than a couple of big runs they broke off they couldn't get anything going offensively and i think you know bridgewater it was just a uh, there was just enough of those big plays that got away that they could be frustrated by that but you know they held them to 16 offensive snaps in the first half uh washington elite had the ball for i believe about six minutes of the first half um bridgewater just you know they had their offense moving the ball to keep it out of the other team's hands and when Washington Elite had the ball it was usually a three and out for them it was that's what their coach the way he put it you know it was either three and out or three and gone <laughs> and, and that was that was the way they, they, the game went for them because they had a couple big plays on third down and other than that they had nothing I guess if we're going to look at the let's let's dig deep for maybe a negative of all this is uh Jay Scroggins threw his first pick of the year his first pick in Dating back to, what, week seven of last year? Something like that, yeah. Um, and it was not his fault. Hit hit the receiver's hands. It bounced off some fingertips and up in the air. And then the Washington Lee player came down with it. So, you know, I, I think, you know, I mentioned last week that without having watching film to figure it up, if you just added in a play like that, where the ball got tipped by his own receiver or got dropped or he's throwing it away because he's – that's the right decision. He's making the right pass. It's got to be at least 90% of the time this year, which is just unbelievable to think about. <laughs> that's just, un- that's just unreal. Yeah. I mean, that is just unreal. And I, and it like, and I think we talked about it last week, just the growth of him from his first season here at Bridgewater to what he is now as a fifth year senior mm-hmm. has just been borderline phenomenal. And to do, I mean, he has the benefit of doing it under one head coach, I mean, he's done yeah. it under two offensive coordinators, I believe. Yeah, uh, but I mean, it just—it just seems like it's clicking the right way. The defense continue, and the special teams. You wrote about the special teams in uh, Tuesday's paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, once again, another big play by that special team. I think it's like three weeks in a row, three, four weeks in a row. That special team's come up big. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really been—it's definitely been since conference play began. They've gotten a big one or two big special teams plays every week, and they've been good in the special teams all year. You know, they started off the um, season just really solid in the kicking game. You take away the spectacular plays, the blocked punts and the kickoff returns for touchdowns and things like that. They just were really solid in the kicking game, you know, when that can be pretty dicey at the division three level and, you know, with no scholarships, things like that, you you know, you don't necessarily expect to have a kicker who can make a field goal from 40 yards out and make 85, 90% of his kicks, which is what they've gotten this year. You don't expect to have a punter who's, you know, 
kicking it inside the 20 almost every time he comes out to punt. And they haven't had to punt very often this year. So the fact that almost every time they have punted, they've completely flipped the field, that's just another advantage to this team that seems to have advantages everywhere they against the teams they played so far uh they're gonna need those advantages this coming saturday when uh the bridgewater heads down uh or up interstate 81 because you're traveling higher elevations uh, <laughs> we won't get into that yeah when they're he- heading up i-81 to, to emory virginia to take on emory and henry which is suddenly right there with bridgewater is probably one of the hottest teams in the odak yeah i believe it's five wins in a row five now a row. for yeah and um you look at the offensive statistics in this conference, and now that uh, Bridgewater's knocked Washington and Lee down a little bit, it's for total offense, for scoring, for all that. It's Bridgewater and Emory and Henry at the top of, you know, they're number one, number two, flip-flop them in some categories. It, but every offensive category that really matters, that those are the teams that are doing it and getting it done in this conference uh you know the big thing for bridgewater is they're also up there in all the defensive categories so if they can keep that up you know they might you would think they have a good shot to do that but going down on a long one of the longest road trips in this conference um you know we'll see what happens that's going to be a team that's really fired up to uh get their shot at bridgewater when they get down there and 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 this emory and henry team is coached by kurt newsome who is a former assistant at virginia tech and james madison was yeah. on that uh that original uh the james madison's first national title uh what do we what do you know about this emory team um, they throw the ball a little bit more. They have some really, really athletic receivers. Max Yates is one of yeah. them from Abingdon. I believe they have another kid, Derek Yates, his brother from Abingdon. As yeah, well, they're, they're both really good receivers. They both, you know, are the kind of kids who are going to, you know, just go up and get balls. So that's going to be a challenge for, you know, the Bridgewater secondary that they didn't see as much this week. That's, you know, the... ODAC coaches, they all kind of say the same thing every week. It's that's a big challenge is what you saw last week will be completely different than what you're seeing the next from a defensive point of view. And those cornerbacks who spent so much time coming up to stop the run last week are going to have to be a lot more prepared to battle downfield for balls that are thrown up for grabs. And, you know, we'll see who the best athlete is when when it comes time to catch it. Well, let's flip gears real quick to, to JMU women's basketball, which, I mean, not, you know, that, that, that season, both those men's and women's season are knocking on our door. I think we were laughing about it over uh, the weekend or yesterday, the other day about uh, Saturday. It's like, well, they, they, JMU men got a scrimmage Saturday. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and if you're a fan of the women's team uh, and you're a fan of the guard game, uh, Shane, the, the, the women got some, uh, they're going to go to four guards, maybe, possibly? Yeah, just got back from the Convocation Center talking to some people out there. And, um, yeah, they're going to play a four-guard lineup a lot more this year than they have in the past. Uh, just kind of the way the personnel's working out, some of the way people are stepping up. They had, you're talking about people who came off the bench last year for them, Jackie Benitez and Madison Green uh, from up in Winchester. And, Basically, you know, the gist of the conversation is they are too good to not be on the floor and not be starting for this team. So you're going to see both of them in the lineup. Um, might mean that, you know, Devin Merritt and Kayla Cooper-Williams, who are the two centers on this team, are going to split time more with, you know, the four-guard lineup around them in the post. And 
You know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how they do that, and I think it should allow them to push the pace a little bit more. For as good as they were last year, they only averaged sixty some points a game, um, partially because you know they're such a good defensive team that kind of slows the game down on one end, and it's harder to get it going on the other end. But if you have four people who can bring the ball up the court, that can counteract that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it seems like I mean, this is what are what are some of the advantages going to four guards that. Um, well, it makes the other team, they're going to have to figure out how to guard that. You know, it comes down to a lot of can they rebound as well as they need to with Lexi Barrier playing the four all the time. And I would guess yes, because she's good rebounding guard. She's also close to six feet tall. You know, I, I stand there and interview her. She's taller than I am. And, you know, she's athletic, so I can see her being able to play that role. Similar to what the men did last year when they realized, you know, our best bet is to have these four guards on the court. And so Darius Banks has to play the four, even though he's a little undersized. She's not as undersized for the women's game as Darius is for the men's. So I can see that really working out for them. And then another team's got to come and figure out, you know, how are we going to guard four people who can shoot it from five feet beyond the three-point line, which is what they're going to have on the floor pretty much any time. Well, that's just, uh, I mean, just another, you know, that, that, that team's got some options. I mean, that, that women's team and head coach Sean O'Regan definitely have some options. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it should be a really fun year. Um, you know, I don't think, I don't think there's any down years coming up for this program. When you look at, you know, who they've got on the bench right now, who they have in the recruiting uh, pipeline coming in. But this has a chance to be the special year for this program. When you just consider the five very experienced, very talented seniors. And then they feel like they have, you know, someone like a sophomore like Maddie Green, who's going to step up and have, you know, even better season than last year. You, You can understand why they have really, really high expectations. Well, it should be a, a, a fun season, and Shane, uh, you can follow Shane the whole way through. He's got a pod. We're looking at starting up a, a basketball podcast here very shortly, which will be kind of like a weekly way to keep up with what's going on out there, kind of like Greg Medea's walkthrough. Yeah, uh, so looking we'll have, forward to that. Yeah, we'll have that going. And uh, Shane, thanks for joining us this week on the Rocktown Sports Pod, bud. We will All talk right. to you next week. All right, thanks. A good thing Cody does not have an ego because uh, I think it's like the second time ever that Cody is bringing up the rear <laughs> of the Rocktown Sports Pod, Rockingham County's only all-local sports podcast. Cody, how are you doing? Doing well. Doing great. It's good to, good to see you. Good to see you. Good to see you uh, still unshaved. Uh, yep. It's, it's, it's slowly coming back. <laughs> yeah, it looks, like it's, it looks like you did some trimming on it. But, you know, you'll get the – we make fun of Cody's beard on the webcast. That's, what, yeah, that's not, what, not the podcast. <laughs> it's more visual. Uh, Cody, we'll, we'll talk high school football as we're wont to do. Uh, man, oh, man. I mean, you know, it's time to start talking about Harrisonburg. Yeah, I mean, you have to now. You have to give them some respect. Um, you know, apparently I've been told by by a couple of people they were looking for, for me after the game because they, they felt like I didn't really give them uh, too much credit going into that one. So, oh, um, you lucky know. for you then you weren't there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a huge win for them. I mean, considering, you know, how they started the year, um, sitting at two and three, going in the district play, and then now win three in a row. Um, that's easily their most impressive win they've had this year. Um, and you know, they just took care of business. And I think the biggest thing that stood out to me is the defense again. Um, you know, I know Quentin Smiley had another big night. 
and uh, was pretty much the, you know the difference maker for Harrisonburg. Um, but that defense, the whole Grant Swinehart under seventy yards, and and kind of just put up another strong performance, um, which is what Chris Thurman has been talking about all year. Um, that's going to be if they're going to compete with Spotswood for that district title um, next week. That's going to be the 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 X factor that I feel like is the reason why they're able to do so. And I, I got to admire, and, and there's, I, I've never heard anything to the otherwise on this, so let's just get that out of the way, way right now. But, you know, Chris Thurman telling Greg Medea after that game how, you know, Quentin Smiley, you know, Initially, it was like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to move from quarterback. And who would be? I mean, that's the hot dog I mean, spot. you're talking about the, the Valley District offensive player yeah. of the year at that position a year ago. But just, it seems like, and once again, I don't know if there, if ever was an issue, but it just, just you know, Quentin in, in the quotes was just this acceptance that this is what, you know, I get it now. Yeah, you know? and you've got to give, you know, you got to give Chris Thurman credit for seeing that. Because that's and chancy. Making, yeah, and making that move, because if that does not work out. That's chancy. You know, people are calling for his head. He's like, look, that's a, that doesn't look good. Um, and then you've got to, like you said, give Quentin a lot of credit for accepting that. Um, and, you, and you you know, Kenny Glega, you've got to give him some credit for being able to step in as a sophomore and, and take over that quarterback role. From a kinda, senior. And kind of knowing, you know, we've, we've got the valid district offensive player of the year a year ago sitting here. Now I'm taking his spot. That's, I mean, I put some pressure on him as well. So, you know, a lot of guys deserve credit for, for making that work, and obviously it's worked out well for him. Yeah, and I thought, you know, Chris Thurman, the, the coach at Harrisburg's quote of, you know, Quentin didn't do this for him. He did this for us. Mm-hmm. You know, he did this for the team, and he knew it would be the best way for this team to win games. And it just, you know, what what a, you know, and like you said, I mean, that had every that had every opportunity to blow up in this team's face and Chris Durbin's face. And I mean, the only thing it's blowing up is just their points. Yeah, I, I mean, mean <laughs> right now they're offensive. Offensively, they're they're rolling. Um, I mean, you know, the thing about that that game against Turner Ashby is they were a couple plays away. You know, just talking to Greg. They were just a couple plays away from scoring a couple deep passes that just went over the top of the receivers' heads or a couple drop drop balls. Um, you know, that's you look at that. They score a couple more touchdowns there. They, they hang forty on TA. That's the same TA defense that we were just praising for how well they shut down Spotswood. Um, so the offense is rolling, and then like I said earlier, the defense uh, is it, playing as well as we've seen the Harrisburg defense play in a while. Um, and I think that's ultimately why they're suddenly in this conversation to compete for that district title. And, and once again, you know, here now we got to wonder again about TA. And, and their ability to lick the wounds and, and, and the heel and to come out ready to roll. Uh, they're on the schedule to play Waynesboro Saturday in the Shenandoah Valley Football Classic at James Madison. That's four games in one day all Saturday, which is leaving us figuring out what the heck we're going to do with the Shen Valley 7. <laughs> but that's not it's a conversation for another day. I, I mean, you know, you, you kind of feel bad at, in saying that, you know, well, this is a good, you know, they're getting a good opportunity to go out there and right the ship against Waynesboro, but they're getting a good opportunity to go out there and yeah. right the ship against Waynesboro if Waynesboro has more than 22 players. Yeah, and all signs right now indicate that they're they're ready to play and they're, they're willing to go this week. But the the biggest thing for T.A. is, you know, you know you're expected to win. You know you're, you're the favorite in this game. In my opinion, they got to come out here and have a clean game and look, you know, more like the team that we saw those first few weeks of the season. Um, the, the number of turnovers against Harrisonburg it was just not acceptable and not, not good enough to win football games. Um, you know, they've only got two more weeks now before they get back to the playoffs. If they want to straighten that up, they've got to stop turning the ball over and, and, and start cleaning that up a little bit. So I think this is the type of game where – 
like I said, you know you're the favorite. You know you're you're expected to go in there and win probably pretty big. You need to go in there and make sure you do that and, and do so pretty convincingly. Um, I think if not, you know, you start to wonder where this team's going to be as, as the postseason gets near. Uh, another game out there at the Shenandoah Valley Football Classic is East Rock playing Luray. Uh, which should be a good game. We'll, we'll touch more of that, I believe, on the webcast. Uh, we'll leave that alone for the pod. But I think if, uh, you know, we got to talk about the, the, the Spotswood Broadway game just for this fact is that as the season has gone on, it's like someone is just spit-shining this Harrisburg Spotswood, you know, end of the regular season game more and more. It's just really starting to gleam more and more. Yeah, and I think, you know, this, you know, when we kind of sat down at the beginning of the year and we kind of talked to all these things in, in terms of who would be the the teams that could, could give Spotswood a, a threat in that Valley District, uh, we talked about Rockbridge and we talked about Harrisonburg. And as the year kind of went up and down, we didn't know who was going to kind of emerge. And, we, and TA kind of looked the part at one time. Uh, now you got this week, Harrisburg faces that Rockbridge team. Um, you know, it, it's setting up perfectly. It's looking like, you know, we, we didn't really think when we saw Harrisburg at the beginning of the year, we didn't really think we'd look at that last, that week 11 matchup and be, that would be the one that decided the district again. It's, it's been so the past few years. Um, we didn't really think that was going to happen this year with what, what both teams had, but uh, it, it's lining up perfectly to be a, another big one at, at Harrisonburg. And Broadway's got to, you know, still probably looking at, at you know, I mean, the defense played very well against that Rockbridge County team. I mean, it, I, I think that needs to be said right now. Is that you know, it, it's still it's still an L in the in the in the column. But I mean, if you're those gobblers and you're a guy like Nate Tunnell and you're one of those defenders who held and I, this sounds silly when you say held Rockbridge County to 28 points, but when you hold, you, you, that's a hold. You know, you especially ha- after giving up what was it, 34 in the first quarter of the week before. Yeah, to I'm, Harrisonburg. So you 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 held you you held serve there when you did that i mean there's got you know and you know we're there's got to still be positives here for danny and Bro- danny grog and broadway yeah I, I would think so i mean when i saw that score um you know I, you considering what that team's been through and what we've seen from them at times um you know the, the loss to harrisonburg was disheartening because i felt like against ta they had showed some progress and they kind of regressed a little bit so to come back and get a strong performance i think you know you got two season two weeks left of the season you're just hoping to put, you know, another strong effort this week. They know they're not the favorite. They know, you know, Spots was the overwhelming favorite coming into this one. Um, you know, just to put up, a, a, you know, a respectable performance, I think, is what Danny wants. And then, uh, you know, they have a great opportunity there in that last week against uh, against Waynesboro to, to maybe end the season on a win, and that's something they can probably build on um, throughout the offseason. Uh, that game, one of those games Saturday on that super slick, quick turf, at Bridgeport Stadium at JMU is Rockbridge County, Harrisonburg. And I know we joked about it when the the, the, the schedule first came out. We saw these two teams are going to play each other on that turf. I mean, Cody, we're looking at at least 100 combined out of Maryland. Oh, it's going to – I mean, last year I drove down to Lexington for that game, and I, I believe, if I remember correctly, Harrisonburg hung, I think, 77 on them or, or some, it was some ridiculous number. Like, I can't even remember exactly, but – um, both teams, I mean, these are two high-powered offenses, two teams that really need a win. I mean, you look at Harrisonburg, they're, they're sitting at number four in Region 5D. They obviously want to keep in contention for that district title, so that's why they need a win. Rockbridge is sitting at number four in Region 3C. They'd like to host a first-round game. So two teams desperate for a win. A loss likely drops them a spot or two. So um, that's gonna that's probably the game of the day, in my opinion. There uh, and, and on the four game slate. Now I'm I gotta wonder if that game is gonna touch at all on uh, what, <laughs> what 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 uh, Page County and uh, and Madison County did to uh, 
to the Virginia High School League record book. Uh, man, I'm trying to find it. Why can't I find it anywhere on my uh, my Twitter? But that uh, it was eighty two to fifty two, I believe. Yeah, right? eighty two to fifty two, which made it the uh, the sixth highest scoring uh, game in Virginia High School League history, according to the uh eighty two fifty two according to the uh their online record book uh i mean uh i mean are we looking at that when when Harrisburg and rockbridge play are we looking at that many points yeah i don't think we are okay. <laughs> I, I think that might be a little too extreme um you know, but I can definitely see this game being a game where it's in the 40s, 50s with both teams. I mean, Harrisburg's got a better defense. I think that's that, that's the that's thing. Tough I, to ignore. I, yeah, you know, I thought the Page County defense was better than that too. But to give up 52 points to Madison, a winless team, um, that was kind of surprising. So yeah, I mean, Harrisburg has, has a stronger defense. Um, Rockbridge County's defense isn't even all that bad either. So um, you know, they're going to. I still think it's going to be a high-scoring game, but, yeah, I don't think we'll we'll touch that 134 um, total points there from those two teams. You know what the highest total combined, uh, according to the Virginia High School League's online record book was? I do not. It was Kingsport, Tennessee, beating Norton, Virginia, 193 to nothing in, 19, <laughs> in 1925. Man. Can you imagine the parents in the stands on that game? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. That, that, what, what year was that? 1925. 1925. Yes. I wonder if they had the running clock uh, I rules in, they, in play. <laughs> they have clocks back then. Oh, that was terrible. <laughs> terrible joke. Uh, we got. Let's see. We got the, real quick here. We got Spotswood Volleyball is uh, scored itself a regional berth. Uh, they they uh, as did Rockbridge County. Are those the only two teams out of the valley that are going on the out regions? of the valley? Those are the only two teams. Um, so Spotswood's playing tonight as we're recording this. Uh, you know that's a tough task for them to go in against a really good Rockbridge team that's probably going back to the state tournament this year. Um, then East Rock gets started later this week on mm-hmm. Thursday. They start their Bull Run District tournament. Um, and then Eastern Mennonite obviously is a team that they just completed the. Uh, the sweep again of the Blue Ridge Conference, and um, Adrian Klein was the Player of the Year. Um, stunning, yeah, stunning. <laughs> and then now, so they're preparing. They'll host a first round state game next Tuesday or Wednesday. Um, they're kind of waiting to see how the other conferences shape up. So um, right now, we've got three left. Uh, Broadway season just closed out last night. That team showed a lot of progress in, in their first year. They under sure did. Emily it, Thomas. It, I mean, tripled their win total from a year ago. And I, and I think when we started the season, you know, they were just there was a lot of scuffling from them. I mean, they were just kind of just yeah had a really rough start yeah, to the really year. I mean, rough start lost i think 11 of their first 12 um and then it seemed like you know as they kind of got more comfortable with what she was doing because i remember watching at the beginning of the year, and it seemed like even some of the formations and everything they were trying to do on the court they didn't really understand that they were getting called for for violations c- consistently um and she i mean she was taking a lot of time to kind of teach them what she wanted and um it worked out well they were one of the hottest teams in the district at the end of the year um, but they just ran into a Spotswood team, you know, last night that was playing really well. So um, I'll be interested to see where that program is next year, you know, after after another year with her. There's, I mean, can there, can there be anything more frustrating for a coach than the the slow buy-in, <laughs> you know, of your team when you're a first-year coach? I mean, they eventually bought in. They eventually, you know, turned it around. But I just, you know, kudos to her for staying patient in that. I mean, just – the slow buy-in just got to be very frustrating for a coach, or at least, oh, yeah, I mean, or not even the. It slow... was a different team at the end of the year than it was yeah. at the beginning. I mean, and maybe it wasn't a buy-in thing. Maybe it was just a learning the new formations thing and then the mm-hmm. slow learn and and whatnot. Uh, Harrisburg moves on. You know, Harrisburg's an all-in region five D's all-in, so Harrisburg moves on, uh, and that's it, Cody. But uh, Shenandoah Valley Football Classic Saturday, like. 
19 hours of football, not that much. There's a lot of football. Four okay. games. <laughs> four games. Uh, a lot of fun, though. It, it should be a good time. And uh, once again, uh, well, I think that's it, Cody. We'll, we'll, we'll be able to look at each other. <laughs> Even though we're looking at each other now uh, on the webcast uh, this week, and we can all make fun of your beard, and everyone can laugh along <laughs> with you because they'll see how scraggly it looks. I'm kidding. It looks fantastic. He's like, he's like something out of, just, out of a Just for Men commercial. It's just glorious, really. It is. I, I'm just so jealous. Anyway, Cody, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week, man. Yep. <laughs>